I'm Stuart Garlick. Hello and welcome to the eTalking podcast from Motion E, the website dedicated to all forms of electric and sustainable motorsport, particularly Formula E, but this this time on the podcast we're taking a different turn because we're talking to touring car journalist Neil Hudson about ETCR, which is the upcoming new electric touring car series. We'll also digress a bit into stories about touring car racing and about some of the biggest personalities um, around the world in touring cars right now. But uh, mostly we'll be talking about ETCR and about his work as a touring car journalist as well. If you'd like to uh, tweet Neil Hudson, then his Twitter is at Neil Hudson. Uh, his medium is medium.com forward slash at Neil Hudson. And of course, if you'd like to get in touch with Motion E, then we are motione.org. And uh, you can tweet us at motione.org, or one word. And also, if you'd like to subscribe for some exclusive articles on Patreon, then it is patreon.com and just search for Motion E. And you'll find us there for as little as $1 a month. You can get access to all that juicy detail and all those newsletters and extra articles that uh, you would not otherwise get and also some great additional bonuses anyway on with the podcast okay hi neil uh, welcome to the podcast so um you are a motorsport journalist specializing in touring cars and you're also a motorsport pr as well so um um how how's the motorsport journalism going and where where are you writing most of your stuff right now hi yeah nice to speak to you um yeah um Let's see. So at the moment, I'm doing a, a bit more freelance journalism at the moment and a, a bit PR for some various teams and drivers across the uh, championships. Um, I did the the PR for the TCR Scandi Championship the last two years. Um, obviously, my background, I've been a journalist at Touring Car Times for, for 10 years, left there just a few months ago. Um, you'll find my stuff mostly I'm putting it on my Medium profile for now, more um, just a bit bits and bits here and there. That's uh, medium.com forward slash or at Neil Hudson, they do it. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of working on my 2020 plans really right now. So hopefully I'll be more available and more around in different places next year. It was it was on Medium that I read your stuff, first of all. You wrote a really good profile of uh, Tiago Montero on his comeback to uh, touring car racing, which uh, I, I believe was quite a difficult road back for him. That's the ex-Jordan driver in Formula One who's been racing for Honda the last few seasons. Um, I was really impressed with the way that you sort of, um, in, well, got got invested in his story, really, I guess. Tiago, yeah, obviously... Um... Yeah, former Formula One driver. He's been a touring car driver for a, a long time, a good part of the touring car family now. I think he started in 2007, wasn't it? Um, just after his Formula One career. And yeah, it was it was a high-profile crash, I suppose, he had whilst leading the championship. I mean, it, it was his... It, it, people consider it's a year he was going to win the title. Um, was no question, 2017. And uh, in effect, he was robbed from, from a, I mean, a really horrible testing crash in Barcelona. Um and yeah, he came back late last year. People weren't sure if he was up to his speed yet. And then, yeah, earlier this year, his home race, a fantastic victory. Um, and it was just sort of a, a sort of fairy tale sort of end to that two year recovery period, I suppose. So, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a nice piece to do as well. Yeah, and um, you've done plenty of good pieces. Uh, for anyone who wants to find your work, it's medium.com forward slash the at symbol Neil Hudson. And um, I, I'm sure you'll be publishing. So, in fact, you, you've published something else there in the last couple of days, I've noticed as well. 
Yeah, and two things this week. I suppose we had the uh, the world touring car calendar came out for next year, so I put a more comedy slant on it and sort of said what I'd do as my own calendar. The new world touring car calendar is very much eighty uh, percent the same as last year's, but it's got two great new events in Korea and Spain. But I also went well. What if we mixed it up a bit and went for what 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 I'd want as a calendar? I suppose uh, adding in Bathurst and uh, things that won't happen at Brands Hatch. Um, just yeah. somewhere close to go to. Huge, then... huge, huge megaphone emoji and a stop, please. And a stop. That's even off the Swedish calendar for next year, I think, isn't it? So, um, <clears throat> yeah. It's, um, uh... Which is really ironic because the W Series is going there for the first time. Must be picking up, yeah, because there's also DCM's going there, isn't it? So it's got some international events and it's lost its home race instead. But, um, hmm. yeah. I, I guess it's one of those things, although, is it politics? Uh, I think it's just more. Uh, you've got a, a. There's quite a lot of circuits in Sweden, surprisingly, and the championship can only host so many. It's, it's the Scandinavian championship, which literally is not the Swedish championship. So they have to go to Denmark um, to kind of justify that title, I suppose. So they've got two races in Denmark next year. I don't think they've been officially announced yet, but um, yeah. And um, yeah, you run out of circuits when you've got Knutsdorp, Mantorp Park, Valkenburg. You have to pick probably commercially which circuits are yours. And there was a great new event, which is the one I mentioned in my blog uh, this this year at Coleftio, the very north of Sweden, where basically it doesn't get dark. It was a very strange event to go to. <laughs> um, you sat there in a hotel and it's sort of dusk and it stays dusk and then it's dawn. At some point, there's, there's no night. It's... Uh, well, yeah. we'll, we'll get onto the main point of our conversation in a sec, but this is uh, this is a fascinating thread to go down. And um, I, I wonder when is uh, um, well, um, are they going to the Kimi Ring, that new Finnish circuit, yet? Um, no, there's no. This Scandies just goes to Sweden and Denmark now. Um, it's, it's, I'm trying to remember which way round it was. Finland is Scandinavia, isn't it? It's that way round. But they don't. They haven't I had a race Finland's in, in Nordic, a while. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a bit of a I want to which way round it is for the Norway isn't. Um, mm. Yeah, so I don't think there's been a finished round. I think there was one a few years ago, but it's not part of their, their calendar. They don't have any finished races at either moment. Because, I mean, motorsport is clearly happening in, in, in the Nordic world because um, I was surprised to see that Finland had built a Class 1 circuit. So clearly they're pursuing a Grand Prix. But I would I, I would have said that um, um, given Finland's sort of... Um, um, social consciousness. So I would have said that something like Formula E, or indeed the category we're going to talk about in a moment, ETCR, would have suited it far better. It could well be. Um, so yes, Scandi, the Scandinavian Championship uh, is obviously internal combustion engine at the moment with TCR, but they have a they have a fluttered with electric. They had an electric car demonstration last year, which was in my uh, other piece I put online yesterday. Um, there was a the PWR zero zero one that's built by the PWR racing team. That's a fully electric touring car, so it's an ETCR esque car, but it's not actually an ETCR car. Um, developed six hundred and ten brake horsepower, and they ran that around the Mantor Park circuit last year as a demonstration of what they could do in the future. Because Sweden and you know, these Nordic countries, they're very much on board with uh, moving to EVs, so. Um, it's very much part of their nature to try and say, okay, well, let's get our championship on board with that as well. So, um, yeah, and, and the, the EV infrastructure in certainly Norway and uh, probably um, probably Sweden to an extent um, is 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 pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it's just quite noticeable. Certainly in Norway, I think every other car's a Tesla, isn't it? So it's mm. sort of um, yeah. And so Sweden very much they're being 
they're very culturally being pushed that way to to adult TVs. So yeah, I think it was that's why I think you know they're looking at it's, it's quite strange as well thinking because when you look at so you know, where we live in the UK where we're much more where EVs make more sense, I suppose, as we're very much more in, in sort of localised areas. There's quite big gaps between cities in Sweden. So you kind of think, okay, well, the range anxiety is more of an issue. So that's why they have to have more of that infrastructure in place to to get to adopt that technology. Well, you, you say that, although um, it, it's it's very rare you'd need to drive city to city 250 kilometres in a day, isn't it? Oh, well. Um, but where did you go in between? A little, um... Yeah, true. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> neither neither charges in the in, in the middle of the fjord or the mountains, don't you? But um yeah. Okay, so um let's let's break it down because this is the first time we've talked about um well, closed wheel racing except for Le Mans sports cars on um, on this podcast. So this this is this is the e talking podcast, so it's usually vaguely related to electric topics, although uh, I, I have strayed into esports and into um, ICE engines when, when it's interesting. So for this time, I thought it would be interesting to talk to you because um, obviously touring cars are going more electric, um, as as is World Rallycross to an extent. But let, let's begin with, um, so ETCR, before we get there, we need to talk about TCR. So can you explain in a nutshell the difference between TCR and all the various other touring car formulae that people might know? Yeah, sure. So um, TCR obviously has been, it's been around for five years and... Um... The ETCR creator really is the same is the same entity as WSE Group, that's headed by Marcello Lotti, and Lotti was also effectively the instigator of the previous generation of touring cars, uh, Super 2000, which was around for about a good 14 years. Um, so TCR is is designed to be a customer racing formula, so it's low cost, uh, low technology, very much based on a production road car. Uh, the engines are two-liter turbocharged engines, mostly other manufacturers stable. So it's um, you know it's got a Type R engine in the, the Honda, for example. It's got the Hyundai engine in the Hyundai. It very much, therefore, has the manufacturer core to it. Um, most of the vehicles are produced by the manufacturer's own customer racing motorsport stable. So you've got Volkswagen, Audi, Cupra, which is the new sport brand for Seat, uh, Honda, Hyundai, Lincoln Co., the new Chinese mark. There's only one privateer, one fully privateer, that is, which is Alfa Romeo competing in the World Championship. That has got nothing to do with Alfa Romeo. That's a fully privateer program from Romeo Ferraris. Um, yeah, so it's they have a price cap, 130,000 euros is a car. So it's very cost effective as a racing platform. And uh, yeah, within two years, you know, more than 200 cars were sold. It's been probably the single most successful it's only touring car formula, if not any kind of motorsport formula in terms of selling cars that there has been in the, the last few decades, certainly. Um, so the technology there compared to, say, British touring cars, which also was using Super 2000 for a while. But uh, for the last 10 years, it was 2012, it was introduced what they called the next generation technology, NGTC car. They're, um, they're more expensive, but they're more reusable. So um, they often you'll have to get a new car and technically because all the core parts are the same they use the same subframe same gearbox same electronics the only effective difference between a british touring car is the sub the chassis around it and um can be the engine but often it can also be the same engine too they often use a standardized engine supplier so that makes it very reusable and swappable you can suddenly say okay i don't want to have a uh well so you're seeing what one went team from uh switch from a 
Mercedes to an Infinity this year, and effectively you can reuse most of the same components. So very different markets there for BTCC and TCR in terms of what they're doing, um, but they're both working very well. So, so um, the, the BTCC and TCR have taken these two different approaches, and um, I, I think I think it's worth asking, really, um, why you have these different imperatives for BTCC teams and drivers. So uh, why, for example, would someone entering the Subaru Levorg in the BTCC prefer to have that uh, kind of silhouette formula rather than what TCR is doing? So... <clears throat> I mean, I suppose you, at a team level, you don't really have a choice with the BTCC, given the regulations are, this is it. This is this is their formula, I suppose. And it's part of the business model to say, look, here's our technical regulation. You have to use it. You can't bring your own car. Um, it helps them control, you know, and that's, that's probably what, one of the key things in all motorsports, make sure you keep all the, all the nature of the competition level. So if you know what everyone's playing with, you're able to make sure it, it's fair and equal across the different formats. I mean, that's been... Part of the struggle, certainly in the earlier years for uh, British touring cars, you have lots of cars with different sort of characteristics, but you go rear-wheel drive or front-wheel drive. That is allowed in British touring cars. In TCR, it's not. They're all front-wheel drive. You can't bring a rear-wheel drive car. So they've eliminated that sort of variable through regulation. British touring cars, no, you can have both, but we will apply different things, weights and things to make sure that you don't get an unfair performance advantage. The Subaru, for example, was one that had a a considered performance advantage because it's a boxer engine. So the engine is very low, gives it very low center of gravity. And that's been something that's been tinkered with, I suppose, in terms of the, the technical and sporting regulations to try and bring it back in. Because I think the year it won the championship, there was a lot of criticism that it was perhaps unfair, but it, it's difficult to gauge. Hmm. Okay. We come up with the right balancing in these forms. Yeah, uh, but uh, so so TCR very very successful. Uh, I, I think you said they they've sold two hundred cars to various customers. Um, that was in the first year. I think uh, now it, it's 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 approaching on a thousand. I'd say you know it's it's been a you know, it was the say it on the loan have sold four hundred cars. I think the, hmm. the Cupra TCR model, and yeah, so you, you're getting car manufacturers now who are, are pushing past fifty to hundred cars each. And, and that that yeah. that that Cooper TCR is ubiquitous. You do see it in every single series now, don't you? Yeah, it seems to be the standard because of the amount of them there are. It seems to be the one that's quite popular for a sort of spare parts. It, it's it's more of the approachable one for most sort of endurance races as well. So it's one you see in lots of different TCR or non-TCR formula if it's just allowing you to bring in a car that you want. Whereas the um, perhaps the more sprint race based championships the, the tcr focus series the car that's been more prevalent has been the um the hyundai and the honda but lots of diversity in terms of the cars being entered and also the uh, also the different kinds of drivers entering and we'll, we'll come to that as well but uh, so 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 tcr next season um you know the, the various series are running but also we've got something else coming up called etcr which is the all electric version of tcr so how is that going to work? And um, are, are they just going to bang an electric powertrain in a TCR? Or I imagine it's a lot more complex than that, isn't it? It's a slightly more complex than that. Yeah, yeah. So um, obviously, <clears throat> I mean, the reality is uh, there's not going to be a lot of technology share between a TCR car and an ETCR car. It's more 
the the type of vehicle which effectively is a closed wheel it's it's a road-based car it's it's going to be the perfect opportunity for manufacturers to showcase um a racing model of their their e-product their electric road product i suppose um there will be lots of standardization within these compared to say the tcr cars which are as i said their production cars turned into race cars whereas these will be pretty much much like um Formula E and you know these other kind of generic formulas, more standardised. So the engines are likely to be very similar. They've already confirmed like the same kind of uh, core electronics and gearbox providers. So actually, it's more in line with the British touring car model of having a standardised core car, and then you'll have the manufacturer effectively develop around it for what's free. Um, One of the um, criticisms of Formula E was uh, that. Well, some some people felt it was uh, going perilously close to becoming a spec formula uh, just because of the way that, uh, you know, for example, single motor power units have become become the standard thing for this season um, and and so on. Um, th- there are still enough differences that it's uh, far from being a spec formula, um, such as, you know, the entire powertrain can be developed by the manufacturer. But um, it's interesting that ETCR is going down a far more standard route. Uh, presumably that's partly for budget control reasons, but are there any other reasons for that? And um, is this disappointing, given that this could be a real you know, development um, lab for electric cars? Well, I think it's, again, I don't think it's too different from the Formula E. I mean, the powertrain so far likely to be the manufacturer based they haven't really come up with full technical clarifications yet but it's it's more the other parts around it trying to give some some more controls and one of the controversies for tcr i suppose has been manufacturers having their own ecus and being able to sometimes it's been not clear as to how to get that performance balancing just right um so i think there is still that you know that involvement of the manufacturer bringing obviously their, their their car shape their feel um the powertrain it's it's the standardization of, of other parts around it which are perhaps more a cost control elements really it's sort of okay well we don't have to worry about that let's make that a single supply we've got we have to have an infrastructure make sure we're all using the same batteries and all the same charging systems so that's more the cost control the standardization element and on top of that then you've got the manufacturer twist to make sure it's all unique enough but i think it's going to be pretty exciting when it when it comes finally get seen i suppose yeah um most of the drawings i've seen and most of the um sketches i've seen have been for the hyundai veloster um etcr which which is 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 a kind of a curate egg of a car so some people like it very much some people think it looks a bit like a 90s chrysler um i'm in between the two i would say um but are there any other models planned and uh, which manufacturers do you think will be supplying a model for next season so the Honda Veloster, there's they had some nice artwork, but they do have a car as well. Um, so it has been out testing. Um, the uh, Veloster also they have a TCR version as well, so it's sort of based on that. Um, they've already confirmed the Cupra E-Racer. That's the Seat sport brand, effectively. Um, the new Seat name um, with Matthias Ekstrom now doing the development work. He, oh, cool. He and Audi Genet was also involved. It made sense with Matthias because obviously he's, he's fully from a rear-wheel drive sort of. Technological background with his DTM career, so he's sort of certainly firmly on board developing that car now. And uh, just uh, just recently, they just confirmed the third model, which is the Alfa Romeo Giulia. Um, that is the first full non-manufacturer model. So that shows that it's not just about manufacturers here; they can actually have privateer programs because that again, 
you mentioned earlier, Romeo Ferraris, the Italian car builder, race car builder. They're going to develop the Julia ETCR for competition. So that's, that's three so far in the can, which is, is a good starting point for championship. Still maybe a good six or seven months away from his first race. But um, we expect more to follow, particularly from the Volkswagen Group stable, perhaps. Um, when when an E series starts out, I guess uh, it the first season is uh, a bit of a struggle generally. If we look at the first season for Formula E, the first season for 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 Moto E um, over on the Moto GP support bill, um, generally uh, the first season is about proving it's out there, showing showing it's a good proof of concept, and getting other manufacturers to join. Um, would you imagine they'll be more interested in season two if they can prove that it's uh, it's a goer? Yeah, I think that's sort of, um, as you say, that sort of seems to be the way most sort of new new categories sort of start. TCR itself was the same. Um, the TCR model originally was based on, a let's say, a Leon Euro Cup car was the first TCR, true TCR car. And that first race was, you look at a grid of, okay, it's just, on a, just over, a, you know, just under 20 cars, um, 90% of which were one model. It's just really... Um, you know, it's not really there yet, is it? And then very, very quickly, all the other models piled in, the ones that are in development. And yeah, it, you know, even if you start with three models, um, which I don't think is going to be the case at all, but uh, it will be a matter of, okay. And now I think that's sort of where they've already confirmed their plan is. I don't think the um, expectation really is they'll probably start with a partial season at the end of next year, sort of one in Europe and then some Asian round. because extend your winter by racing in asia because uh, you don't you don't get snowed out like we would in europe and then you can go full proper so in season two in 2021 so i think they've kind of the plan already seems to be to have a short first season as a proof of concept season deliberately as a this is just what we can do and then go in it full in 2021 Okay, super. And um, what, what is what is your feeling about ETCR? Do you do you think that um, um, with with Formula E se- seemingly going gangbusters with the, with the big luxury manufacturers, do you think this will be a budget manufacturer version for companies of the ilk of Hyundai, which um, tend to sell to uh, um, sh- shall we say less moneyed buyers than Porsche and Mercedes? Is it interesting? Uh, yeah, split. I suppose you've got your your top premium manufacturers currently competing in Formula E hadn't really thought of that. I suppose it's the model to the, I suppose that's the split you've already got within touring cars and sports cars, effectively being replicated across the, the E formula. Cause you'd say, okay, cause like, you know, you can, if you've got a sports car driver, you're going to be thinking like you've got your Ferraris and your Porsches already there. Um, and your Aston Martins. Yes. They're so far with the brands confirmed are Hyundai, Cupra and, uh, Alfa Romeo is a sort of premium brand. I think it is more, yeah, it's more the customer-focused brands, the ones that are more, more mass market. But um, I don't know if that's going to be a massive restrictor. I mean, BMW have been a, a historic supporter of touring car racing in various forms. So, it, and uh, it's not impossible, I suppose, that you get more premium brands fighting their way in. But I suppose the first set will be the people who are involved in TCR right now, and that's your Hondas, your Hyundai's. Um, Cooper Volkswagen. So, see how many of those. Are you surprised that we don't see a leaf in there, given its reputation among EV buyers? It's, it's, Nissan's one of the oddest ones in terms of its motorsport programs historically, isn't it? The last thing they did pretty big was sports cars. Um, uh, and 
not really see. We've always been thinking we'd see a Nissan touring car. They were sort of hinted as bringing the Pulsar TCR. Um, mm. It was supposed to be a Pulsar GTIR, if I recall, it's sort of a performance model, but Nissan approach sort of didn't go that way. I think the Pulsar also wasn't necessarily that successful a model. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we keep hearing Nissan, we did for a while in touring cars, but they generally seem to be very much focused on more showing off their road car projects in sort of road car formula, you know, kind of like a, a, a Nürburgring special car or something like that. They haven't really delved into motorsport fully. So we have some manufacturers just seem to skirt around motorsport now. It's not part of their program. Um, whether or not, you know, e-racing will bring them in but so far doesn't really seem to have done so far because they seem to focus more on their the Renault side I suppose when they were more closely working together to do that we'll see I I, I don't know I also don't know if the Leaf is when it comes to racing cars I suppose the Leaf has not quite got the um, the aerodynamic look to it I suppose I know it's very aero you know it's narrow shape it's still a little hatchback it's still a little small two box car um it might be more interesting to see how the technical regulations develop and what kind of cars are right for ETCR. I mean, the Veloster, as you say, it's a, it's a divisive car, certainly, but it's, it's certainly not a, an unsporty car. Is it? it certainly says, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a weird little race car. Uh, Cupra very much are focused on being the new sporty brand, so we know their cars are going to look racy. Yeah. Um, and the Alfa Romeo, yeah, speaks for itself. So, so Hyundai have gone gone in with the Veloster. I I wasn't actually aware that was that that, that was available in, e, in an EV variant until I saw the drawing. But um, uh, I I guess they could have gone with the Kona, but that that is more of a crossover. Um, but w- what about the uh, Ionic? That's that's a reasonable touring car shaped car, isn't it? So that's the point you just made. There it was quite interesting. I think so far none of the ETCR cars announced have E variants. Um, the the right the Lost doesn't have an e-variant. You can't buy any oh, e-Veloster. Okay. And the Cooper car hasn't. I mean, technically, it's based on the current Seat Leon, but that they haven't technically launched a model yet. So, it's sort of that interesting point in sort of uh, well, how come these cars are you know they're electric touring cars, but mm. they're not necessarily the road mod growing model available yet. Um, the Alfa Romeo program being completely independent means they're just using whatever they want. They don't have to worry about Alfa Romeo wanting to promote a car. It's um. So it should be interesting to see. I should say the Ionic, yeah, the Prius, all that kind of stuff would be the cars you'd be picking as your, as your typically kind of style cars that we use for this. But they're not, are they? They're um, they're going with vehicles which are very much race cars already. Yeah. And branding them as electric vehicles. In, in fact, my 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 dream racing series would be something like the iPACE E Trophy, where um, except with all the manufacturers, where you can just pick any EV straight off the forecourt, paint it up in your colours, and um, basically basically arrive with a racing license and a race suit and race against the other EVs. I I, th- I think that would be people would realise that EVs can drive quickly in um, on a racetrack. Yeah, and I think um, yeah. It's sort of if you just grabbed all the EVs, but, but then you'd have the the balance problem you have already, which is which EVs are better in terms of being a race car, because it's not just about the car itself. Saying okay, you have an electric race car, but the iPACE, for example, itself is a very boxy. It's an SUV. It's, it's, it's you know, SUVs. If manufacturers wanted to race SUVs, you'd have to really try and work out the 
how to make that work right now because SUVs are not very good race cars. They're, they're too high. You know, you like your race car should have low, low ride height. Your mum's wagon should have a high ride height. So an SUV is good for the road. It's not good for racing. So the I-Pace itself is a is a bad race car, but it's okay because it's racing against other I-Paces. So everyone <laughs> else has got the same disadvantage. Yeah. But if you went and said, okay, I want an I-Pace versus a Veloster ETCR, let's say, it's like, well, it's a, there's a lot of balancing need to be done there. And when you're already starting with a heavy car, it's already putting quite a load. I think I was speaking to Sergio Jimenez a few months ago, and I gather that they're like 2,000 kilos or something, the, uh, hmm. the I-Pace, which is when you think uh, a typical touring car is around you know, the 1265 kilo is the current TCR car. That's a pretty significant amount of weight to be forcing the car to drag around a circuit. So you've already got a limitation as to what balancing measures you could do if you've got really heavy cars like that so yeah Sergio Jimenez did a fantastic job to uh, win the IPC trophy last season um and uh, luckily for the e-trophy he's back again this season um team uh, team Ray Hall unfortunately wasn't there in in Deria um I, I'm, I'm not sure of their long-term situation, but uh, have you been following the IPC trophy? Do you um, have any strong opinions on it either way? Uh, I've been loosely following it. I didn't see the recent, the first round of the new season. Um, so I, I mean, like I think as a tin top formula, it's great to see. You know, again, this is the point, I suppose. Cars that you can sort of buy, you'll see and go, okay, there's one racing. So I think it's a fantastic uh, concept and a great idea to be the support category for. Uh, Formula E. I think um, I'd say that there are quite a lot of challenges with such big cars and uh, the racing I suppose is is tricky when you get to those tight street circuits which Formula E race on. At least a Formula E car's got half the chance of overtaking. I think with I-Pace cars they're sort of very the, the size of them makes it very tricky those kind of races to be um, as dynamic. Touring car historically are when you go to street races they're amazing challenges for drivers but they're not um, necessarily the best uh, example of touring car races because touring car races are more about that, that contact and overtaking, which is what you, you sometimes, yeah, people who turn to touring cars after usually get bored of Formula One or something. Oh, I'm bored of Formula One. What's going on? Nothing. No one ever passes. Come watch touring cars. That's where they overtake. And immediately, I suppose, with a street circuit and a large car, you've, you've kind of taken that, that edge off, I suppose, that makes touring cars more exciting hmm. but uh, certainly drivers such as uh, Sergio Jimenez I mean he, he was in Brazilian stock cars beforehand a bit like Caca Bueno his teammate and uh, they, they've just come over and um, done a fantastic job against against largely largely uh, European and um, Middle Eastern opposition and um, it, it's great to see uh, do you think there's a certain kind of driver that just functions well in any closed wheel car regardless of the situation so uh, do you think uh, Jimenez along with perhaps uh, you mentioned Jorge Genet are, are these people who are all rounders who would be good in any kind of closed wheel vehicle uh there are quite a range of closed wheel vehicles. I suppose you often there are there are groups of of racers who who switch um, depending more on the types of cars. I mean, Brazil stock cars are, are unique in their own way. They're very much more um, their background. Their drivers sort of come from single seater backgrounds, and it's the same kind of trend you see with DTM drivers. DTM drivers mostly switch to Formula E or to form 
or have come from Formula 3 or go to sports cars. They don't go to TCR or uh, the more traditional sort of lower downforce touring cars because there's a completely different driving style. So Jose Maria Lopez is a key example. When he came in, when World Touring Cars went more to a to a high downforce concept, he, he ruled the roost. You know, he won the championship three years straight against Ivar Muller. And we thought, wow, this guy's amazing. But then go back to a low downforce formula. And Ivar Muller is now back up, you know, lost the championship by three points last year and is um, to Gabriele Tarquini. And this year, again, he's, he's on target, perhaps winner. A fifth world title it's, it's you can often see you know across closed wheel racing you have lots of different subcategories which kind of keep drivers in different pots i suppose and i i think this is something that's perhaps unusual to followers of single seater racing who who then look at look at the touring cars um not so much in dtm because that that seems to be increasingly a young person's formula uh drivers drivers like uh robin Freins who are also in formula also in formula e um and uh, I, I was surprised to see Matthias Ekstrom um, leave it uh, so rel- relatively early in his career, but still. Um, on the other hand, you know, TCR, BTCC, um, you, you've still got drivers there or thereabouts at the front, like Jason Plato and Matt Neal in the BTCC, like Gabriele Tarquini and Ivan Muller in TCR. Um, why do you think that is? And why generally do you think, um, sh- shall we say, older drivers are, you know, able to run at the front more consistently in those formulae um they're just um i think some of it's just down to the, the, the type of racing um i mean the pros i suppose the bit that forces you about single seaters is uh you know the full high down force the full sort of the focus of racing is much more i don't know i, th- I think with touring cars you just it's generally more about your your craft in the race car and being able to just race and find a way through it's less about that absolute perfect lap obviously it's still a key point but it's sort of it's, it's that kind of that way to get through each race to know know the spots to be able to pick on any errors or mistakes it's the experience that mostly makes it i suppose for for that generation of driver and that's why as you say yeah, you listed off um i mean gabriele tarquini he's last year's champion um if you know, we, we, we were looking a couple of years ago and thinking, was was Tarquini, you know, he had, a, he had a, just a bad year once, I suppose. It was like, well, is this it? Has he lost his edge? And next year, he's re-signed by another team and still wins races. He then gets picked to develop the Hyundai. And he's also a top development driver. You know, it may not necessarily be that fastest ultimate lap time. Sometimes these drivers win championships with very few pole positions, but they still fight their way through the field. They keep scoring the points um, and they know how to get you know, the right pace out of the car. So, um, yeah, so you've got your Tarquinis, your Neils, your Platos, your Mullers are all, all past 50. And then you've got like Andy Prio returning this year, um, the three-time world champion. Uh, he's 45 years old. Mm-hmm. Just won, he just won the Macau Grand Prix. Um, you know, it's sort of, uh, Tiago's now in his early 40s. So, um, and again, he was one that came from that single-seater background. One of the few that came to touring cars and adapted and then, was doing really well in that new sort of uh, low downforce, the sorry high downforce era, the TC1 era. Um, so you know, it's I think it's that that makes a difference. Yeah, um, but Gabriele Tarquini, he's not just in his fifties. I think he is actually close to his sixties now, isn't he? As fifty-seven, I believe. 57, yes. Yeah. So uh, I- extraordinary and um, lo- lovely to see as well, because uh, you know it- it's good. It's good to have that uh, mental connection with eras of racing when maybe some of us, 
like me started watching it. Uh, Tarquini, um, when I started watching Formula One, was 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 with AGS, and then then he went off, of course, to drive for Alfa Romeo in the nineties in uh, BTCC, and um, in um, uh, I think he was in DTM for a while, but. Uh, Fantastic driver, and um, good good to see him. Um, on on to, on on Ivan Muller. Um, obviously, he, he's a name that most people remember from the Vauxhall years and the BTCC, um, and and so on. But um, he's an example of how you've now got family members driving um, um, along with along with fathers or uncles. So, c- can you explain the situation that I think you wrote about, where Muller and his nephew and Andy Prio are in the same uh, stable now? Yeah. So, yeah, we don't have a lot of generational drivers in touring cars, but we do have it here in uh, with the Muller situation. So, Ivan Muller, yeah, his nephew Jan uh, Erlache. Uh, because his his uh, his yeah his his sister's son, so he's got a married name there, is uh, driving for the uh, the Lincoln Co. Cyan Racing Team. So, Lincoln Co. is a is a new Chinese motor manufacturer. So it's it's, it's not available in Europe. So you've not seen one, you've not missed one. Um, yes, and he he's come on very quickly. I mean, he's he's already in his his uh, third season, I suppose, of competition in touring cars. He came in with a with the, the Lada program as a privateer two years ago, got snapped up by Honda straight away and then got stolen by Lincoln Co. in year two to race alongside his uncle um, in that same team. So it's a, it's a fantastic story. I mean, Jan is already a race winner several times over. Um, and, you know, they say he certainly could be a, a future champion. And I suppose also there's that bit where you look, the, you know, we, what we talk about and everyone remembers the Yvonne Mullers and the Gabriele Tarquinis when you kind of turn on touring cars. It's great to turn it on and still say, oh, those names are still there. What race I was watching 20, even 30 years ago. Um, but you do have this new young generation as well. You do have Jan, you do have a fantastic rookie this year, Mikel Azkanar, who's a... Uh, you know, he was only just recently ruled out championship contention. Uh, you yeah, have a good spread of drivers from you know, in all sort of the decades. It's just, I suppose, like other Formula, when you go 20s, 30s, and then you kind of stop and peter out in your 40s, you still got touring car drivers carrying on in their 50s. So, yeah, it's fantastic. And um, you you would say the TCR field is going to be just as um, just as well populated and just exciting next season in the WTCR. Yes, certainly. Well, touring car cup is. Uh, Sort of, it's moving into its third year next year. It's, it's, it's sort of extended its agreement with the promoter and uh, the FIA for another three years. Um, so it's definitely going from strength to strength. Um, this year has been a particularly, I mean, it was, they called it, what was it? Yeah, I can't the term they were using at the beginning of the year, but it basically is the super grid, I think, because it's effectively it's the first time, I suppose, in a good while, it's been a basically a full professional grid. No driver is a paid driver. Every driver, even though it's customer racing, which means uh, every team has to be a privateer team, has to be not a manufacturer entry, all the drivers are manufacturer backed. So they bring and say, right, you will race our driver. And then you have a, a fully pro grid. Um, it's been pretty exceptional. So next year, it might not be quite the same level because I think there's that point where you for example, we already heard the Volkswagen are withdrawing and focusing on electrification. So when you lose a few, you can't necessarily keep the same level, but that helps bring in the privateers as well, which gives you something to aspire to because having privateers and your manufacturers is often a good thing. It gives you a bit more of a balance, a bit of a mix. And so I expect yeah. there will be 
fewer manufactured drivers next year, but it should still be a pretty quality grid. And privateers bring, brings me to one of the last topics I want to talk about, which is uh, uh, Lincoln Co., this new manufacturer, um, um, have come in for this season and done incredibly well. And But their cars look incredibly attractive as well. They sort of remind um, a certain kind of person of that of those Leighton House marches with with the way they're coloured. But uh, Scion Racing is officially a privateer team, even though it's the only team that's allowed to run Lincoln Co.'s. Is that right? Yes, there is that uh, that that factor, I suppose. So Scion Racing is a privateer function. It was a uh, it was formerly known as uh, for uh, Polestar Racing as part of uh, the Polestar Group, which was a sub brand of Volvo. But uh, the racing team was sold uh, sold off. Um, it's more precisely, I think it was more the the performance brand was sold to Volvo, and then the racing team was split off from Polestar, so that became its own race team. Um, mm. So effectively, it's very sort of and you'll find a lot of these race teams in world touring cars on um, brc racing team which is hyundai's race team is very closely linked with the manufacturer they sort of have a, a time where basically brc don't run any other, any other brand so you kind of get that kind of synergy a lot but yes cyan racing are the only team running the lincoln co um tcr sort of has a a, a key regulation which is manufacturers must sell cars to customers um but i suppose Sometimes you get that development cycle bit where effectively, certainly saying the first year of the Honda, you don't mass produce vehicles necessarily. So Lincoln Co's position has been they will sell more cars in year two, but year one, it has been more about developing the car in the championship on its own. So yes, so far, only Cyan Racing have the cars, but next year they are required to allow more privateers to get hold of the cars in various markets. From, from what I've been reading, they're a bit of an automotive disruptor. I, th- I think they're still part of the same group, uh, the Geelong group, as Polestar um, and Volvo. Um, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, but uh, I, I also read that uh, they are working on a sort of a, 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 a kind of a semi-rental service for their cars. So the, the, th- the theory is that um, you, you don't need to directly own a car. It, it's, it's, more, it's more of a leasing system. Um, that, that's, that's something new, and it, it's it sort of brings the ethos of Netflix or Spotify to um, to um, personal car buying or car driving. Um, is this something that you think we'll see more now that we have EVs and now that we have uh, you know car for hire um, companies in most cities, or uh, is it going to be a flash in the pan? Would you say? Um, it, yeah, you're right. It's part of that 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 model they're doing. There. The Geely Group is sort of yeah, Lincoln Co. will allow you to rent the cars on exclusively yeah, i think it's exclusively rent your cars effectively take out a contract as you say netflix style i suppose and that's sort of the way i guess we're all going isn't it everything now is more about or rather just pay a fixed fee for, for everything for your adobe licenses or whatever rather than actually buying it outright and then worrying about reselling it back later um it'll be interesting to see how it works and if anyone else jumps on the same thing i don't think i've I think I've heard other manufacturers talk about doing the same thing. And obviously, Lincoln Co. have the other challenge of basically being a brand that has to build itself up if it's going to sell elsewhere. I know that the next focus is America, if I recall, and Europe is, is later down the line. But by then, you know, should that model be working, it, it, won't, be, it won't be just them doing it, will it? So it will be everyone else will sort of jump onto the same model if it's a, a successful thing. I, well, I think yeah. it's... Don't know which really way you'd want to to own a car. Would you want to buy a car? I mean, effectively, you kind of do the same with the ways you buy a car these days. Anyway, with with financial arrangements, isn't it? You effectively 
you are you are leasing or you are personal contract purchases of cars it's effectively the same model just being instead of doing it for a finance company you're effectively bringing it into the manufacturer so you're actually spending the money with the car manufacturer they get the money yeah which 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 which, which save, saves you the uh, massive loan from the bank really doesn't it yeah yeah um so good, good idea but um i've i've got to say you know um everything the geely group is producing uh, the volvo designs the the polestar 2 certainly and um uh, this lincoln co um they they they're all incredibly attractive and they all seem to be priced um at at least with you know middle class buyers in mind and um you you know given 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 i'm a volvo fan since birth really uh, through my family that's that's a really nice thing to see yeah yeah they've got a um a really nice range the polestar obviously was a, was a very interesting change of, of obviously they came in touring cars and promoting what was effectively polestar's early days were a, a sort of more of a, a retuning kind of a, for existing volvo models but now it's swung completely into a producing EVs, the Polestar 1, 2 models. Um, so whether or not that's sort of what might be an ETCR car, that'd be something, be nice, mm. wouldn't it? Um, the Lincoln Co is very much more is China. So uh, EVs aren't so much a, a key priority of the Chinese market. Hybrids are probably more what's going to be their next thing once they move on from ICEs, which might be... Well, I, I don't know. I mean, um, I, I mean, certainly things like Neo are a big business over there. Yeah, but I, th- I think my understanding of the Chinese market is it, it's sort of much due to the sort of uh, condensed nature of how the population live. It's, it's sort of uh, it's it's very difficult really to have a charging infrastructure for for people basically live in flats. Um, there's no there's no not, you know these these sort of massive metropolitan areas that the Chinese live in. It would make it a bit trickier for EVs to work. So I think hybrids is more what I believe is there. You know, PHEVs will be more their kind of uh, approach, I think. Hmm. ETCR has been a bit quiet. Now, we, we talked a bit about the marketing side offline, but uh, um, can you can you explain a bit about um, uh, what, what's going on, on in, in the background with ETCR? And also, um, what does this tell us about how difficult it is to start an electric racing series in this day and age? Yeah, so ETCR, I suppose, I mean... All the announcements so far are small bits about the, sort of the various commercial partners, but I think um, what we're kind of missing so far there's a there's a key announcement back in the summer, which was that ETCR is going to be working with uh, Eurosport Events, who are the promoter of the World Touring Car Cup, which uh, means that you've basically got this partnership in place again between WSC, who promote TCR, and Eurosport Events, who effectively promote the racing series itself. So, I believe that bit isn't finalised yet. Um, there's still sort of negotiations going on in terms of how that relationship will be and also how it will work as an FIA championship if it will be one. Because uh, they, the letter of intent, when they, they said this, they, well, they won't talk about anything else after that. They just said this announcement and then and it, then it went quiet effectively. Was was that the plan was for Eurosport and WSC to work together and also trying to get this to be an FIA category effectively. So that could lead to it being suppose the most the wildest ambition would be for it to be an FIA electric touring car championship but until those sort of those things are worked through that's why I suppose the flow of news is a bit tricky because until that program is in place and all those who's doing what and who's doing the media and all that's worked out there's not much flow through of news as yeah. apart from the technical 
and I, I, I suppose um, as as a, as a Formula E person, um, I'm spoilt by the amount of information I'm, I'm I'm being given. I mean, there's hundreds of videos of old races on YouTube. Um, every team has a press contact, and the championship does if you if you need something off the off the FIA as well. Um, it it's, it seems a little bit like. Uh, every other electric series is really struggling with uh, getting the right marketing out there. I, I was looking looking at Moto E earlier, and um, they basically published three articles on their website, and um, one one of them is a calendar announcement uh, from March uh, twenty nineteen. So um, it, it seems like they're all struggling a bit. Um, is this? So is it is it chicken or egg basically? Um, do electric championships need to do better marketing, or do they not do so so good marketing because they can't talk about stuff yet? Well, I suppose you're talking about. I mean, once Formula E is going, then it's got the materials are supposed to play with. But once you until mm. you've got the championship on its feet and it's actually running and you've got a product to showcase, it's it's tricky to to have anything to sort of to talk about. I suppose. I mean, and I think there's a lot of long tail sort of promotion for these e-series i mean etcr was announced just over well over a year ago now in fact um uh you've got extreme e which is that sort of rally raid electric one coming up as well which is from the same guy from alejandro agag who came up with formula mm-hmm. e wasn't it that's that's and that's like okay when, when's that 2021 so well the sage is away um but the, you know this like this it's i suppose it's that bit of building and building towards that day but in the end the amount of marketing is is key but the most important thing is when you get that championship running it has to be working on that first day because a championship will fail if that first race is a load of rubbish it won't matter if you spend all the money on marketing and you end up and the product's no good so i think their focus is very much on product when you look at wsc that's what they're very good at um tcr is sort of like this is what we think it should be they split effectively. Um, the the owner of, T- of WSC split off from effectively Eurosport to say, no, this is what I think we should do. And Eurosport went, no, this is what we think we should do. And the Eurosport one was too high cost. Um, effectively, it nearly killed the World Touring Car Championship in just three years. Whereas the TCR formula has just been so successful. Um, kind of says, okay, well, he, he must have got that bit right then. Um, but then the bit he doesn't do so strongly is the promotion and the marketing and if that Eurosports bit is to do that, then I think that's why you're seeing that disconnect at the moment, because we need to see what everyone's doing when they package it all together. Okay. Um, but but you've but you've still got high hopes for um, ETCR, um, I guess. Yeah, I think it's um, well. I mean, reality is that manufacturers are the things that kind of bring a, a key buzz to most of these motorsport categories i suppose and when you look at even though tcr was supposed to be a customer racing formula it's the manufacturer interest certainly in the last few years that really kind of you know bringing in the top pro drivers have made it really work and you know that electric racing is where the manufacturers are effectively we see announcements every other few months from a manufacturer saying okay we're giving up on combustion engine racing now we're just going to do e-racing so when that happens you know you, you, you know it's, it's like effectively we're watching a, a formula switch from one type of racing to another and all the manufacturers are going to be e-racing so that's where the, the, the top the pinnacle of the technology and the and the professional drivers will be in the future so etcl will be effectively you know I mean, even when you, even when they say maybe, if, if, like I said earlier, if you call it an FIA Electric World Touring Car Championship, I think it, you can jump, drop the word electric. Eventually, we'll, 
it's not a matter of calling everything what what the powertrain is. It will just be like this is this is a World Touring Car Championship. This is this is what it is now. It has electric engines, but same way World Rally Championships decided to go electric. Mm. It'll just be it'll just be the E bit drop drop out, and that'll be for computer game racing. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, World Rallycross uh, plans to go electric as well, I think. Yeah, so there's has been a, a sort of similar, I suppose. It's that bit where you, you you announce the idea, but then it's it's tricky to work out how to make it work. And I think so. They've got their Project E program coming in next year now, as they start to adopt an electric rally car. Um, so they haven't been doing anything electric as yet. Um, and I know they they kind of some manufacturers pulled out because they weren't sure the direction but i think they now have a focus and an idea as to what to do so within two years you'll see very electric world rallycross and uh will be a you know uh, given the short sprint formula i think it worked very well there you'll you'll the difference will be the sound element i suppose as to how that works because I, I having gone to rallycross events the noise of them is the most insane thing so I think when I look at electric touring cars, I think, okay, that could work. You know, it's, it's fine. It's just, there's a little bit of the noise, but most of the places I go to, uh, touring cars are restricted so much that effectively electric cars are probably louder. Um, but Rallycross, uh, it's weird. Sounding is part of it. So I don't know how they'll, how they'll balance that, but it'd be an interesting challenge for them. Hmm. Um, you, you've obviously done marketing for a touring car series in particular, and I, I, I just wonder, um, you know, without going into specifics, which you can't, obviously, um, I don't think anyone is under any illusions that it's easy to uh, launch and promote a series, or indeed to promote an existing one, but um, w w what are the main challenges? Because um, sh surely it's easy to get eyeballs on a new series, but, um, well... Perhaps I'm wrong there. I mean, how how do you get people interested in a new series in the first place, and how do you sustain that interest when people aren't seeing cars on a track for a while? Um, so when uh, sorry, so the, the bit about not seeing them in a while. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, for example, um, the Formula E season is now um, out of the way for a few weeks, but uh, you know, the the summer break feels like a very long one when you're trying to find content on Formula E. So, I, I imagine that um, for for a series that isn't running yet, obviously the wait the wait feels even longer. But for a series like yours, which is um, you know very much up and running and thriving, it um, is it still difficult to keep interest between seasons? Yeah, I see me. Um... I guess this, yeah, and we get used to this kind of thing in motorsport now, where you have lots of championships have longer off seasons, um, or even mid-season breaks. I think, as you say, Formula E's got seven weeks, isn't it? Um, I mean, that's nothing. I think the World Touring Cars next year's got a nine-week break in the middle. Um, it's, I suppose, you kind of, with this modern modern way of really of social media, there's a lot of stuff you can do. Is in, you kind of build up for it. You get your video clips ready. You kind of keep some stuff moving to make sure that people can sort of keep in touch with things that are going on you know um but obviously some part of the news is effectively the racing and if there's no racing then you know there's only so much you can do um launching a series from scratch i suppose is, is a very different question i suppose it's sort of like okay you can promote it and you can do lots of bits and you see like i think you see extreme e already doing lots of little kind of clips about how they're going to how the championship's going to be and interviews mm -hmm. with the drivers and and what the environmental focus is and it's a lot more focusing on on why they're doing it 
less, I suppose, on what it is, because that bit, I suppose, is still in development. And I suppose ETCR is sort of in the same point. There's, there's no calendar announcement yet. I mean, apart from the fact we kind of have an idea where they'll probably go, but whether it's going to be very city-based or circuit-based, because that's a massive change in itself, because uh, you know, electric racing is very good in cities because you've got the infrastructure there. Circuits is a massive challenge, and we don't have a lot of e-racing circuits yet. So it's 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 again it's about okay here's why we're doing it here is the technology coming in but yeah you've got no you've got no archive footage of a an electric touring car race so there's nothing really to apart from the car going around the track and so, uh, so, so, so it's, it's going to be entirely following the uh, wtcr um tracks so it, it's going it's going to be on uh, quote-unquote proper wide racing circuits that that is going to be a challenge for electric cars isn't it so that understanding is that's sort of the plan to, to at least go circuits, um, but there could be a balance of streets and circuits because Wiltering Cars itself, um, they have uh, three street races in the calendar. So you kind of end up with a mix already because uh, Macau, Morocco and uh, Villarreal in Portugal, those rounds are all right in the city. So I think if you've got that balance, the circuit thing is definitely going to be a differentiator because you're used to seeing touring cars that this comes to the point I said earlier, if you just do street races, you you will have a, a restriction because street races are great for audiences and sometimes you can get some good touring car races out of it, but usually it's more uh, difficult to see the passing, I suppose, from a touring car at a street circuit as you would on a on a longer circuit. So I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's building up to how you're going to launch a championship is tricky, but... I think most of it is again when you get that first race of material that's that's the key bit when you want to promote it you go okay i've got the footage now i've got the cars racing you know day one is have all your cameras pointing at all the cars and uh, get all your get, get all the excitement coming out of that first race where you can because that's basically the material you'll be using to promote throughout the rest of the season so you have to have a fantastic first event i suppose and tcr is a great example of a of a very slow build it, you know it wasn't they, they jumped onto the Formula One circus to start with, so their first race was actually a Formula One support race. So immediately they've got a crowd on eyes of the eyes, people seeing them race right in front of you. But um, their their events, you know, I went to racetracks where there were there's no crowd effectively at some tracks, definitely in the first year. Um, it's a, it was a slow build to get the fans interested and involved. And I think you you know with a new championship, it's it's a massive challenge to sort of suddenly get that crowd in straight away. And manufacturer interest and promotion is key. TCR didn't have that; it was a custom program. But ETCR will have a different different ethos by being more manufacturer focused. So that should help certainly. Okay, great. Um, thank you for explaining the world of ETCR to us, and uh, looking looking forward to next season. And um, I, I guess I guess your work never stops. You're probably uh, already focusing on the on the next season of TCR yourself, aren't you? Yeah, well, it's not even finished yet. So we've got the season finales next week um, in uh, Sepang. So the FIA Gala takes place before we even crown the champion. <laughs> okay, well, it's that long a season now. I think we've worked um, our mid seasons longer than our off season. <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's actually true in that case well um in, in that case en- enjoy the final race and um enjoy your holiday as well neil thank you thank you for listening to the e-talking podcast i've been Stuart garlic and my website is motione.org if you'd like to um write to us on twitter then you can do it is at motione.org thank you goodbye <laughs>